iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming to the store today. Uh, my name is Erwin. I'm the events coordinator here. And thank you all for coming to our event featuring Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman will be signing things after the event. Um, I'll, we'll set up a table over here. He'll sign all your things that you like. And uh, just enjoy the show. So without further ado, let's watch the trailer first. And then the uh, actor will come on out. And so it begins. Welcome to the fantastic world of Mr. Fox. Woo! Should we dance? His life is fantastic. <laughs> Pure wild animal craziness. His wife is fantastic. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. His neighbors. Not so fantastic. This is Bogus, Bunce, and Bean, three of the meanest, nastiest, ugliest farmers in his valley. What was that? They're digging us up. But they're about to discover... Oh, Foxy. Is help on the way? He's one fox. I've got an idea. You can't outfox. Mole, what do you got? I can see in the dark. We can use that. Rabbit, I'm fast. Badger, demolitions expert. What? Since when? Here, put these bandit hats on. I don't have a bandit hat, but I modified this tube sock. We look good. Yeah, we do. The only security is the old hunting beagle <laughs> laced some blueberries with sleeping powder. Beagles love blueberries. A titanium card. What's this thing you do, the whistle with the clicking sound? That's my trademark. We're different. We all are. Him especially. But there's something kind of fantastic about that, isn't there? I can fight my own fight. No, you can't. I guess we should start doing something, right? Let's see some hustle. Yeah! This fall, forget super. That was close, Rat. Be careful. Oh, I'm as careful as I... Ignore Incredible. I can fit through there. You wanna know why? Why? Because I'm little. It's all about fantastic. You really are fantastic. I try. Fantastic Mr. Fox. What's this lightning bolt? This fence might be electric. Well, I just hope it doesn't mean thunder, because I have a phobia of that. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. Thank you for coming. I was supposed to introduce this man, but I think he needs no introduction. Ah. Uh, practically the king of all media, films, TV, music. Uh, this is great. This is fun. Well, since we just saw the trailer here... Should we put some echo on our voices? What? How many effects reverb? are... Yeah, I, would, I could use some... I don't know if they're reverb. set up for that. You got verb? But you got flange? Echo. Nothing. All right. Bass? Hello, 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 hello. Thank you. Oh, it's all oh my guy. Sibilance. Whoa. You guys hear that? Okay. That's a lot of bass. 
So this, uh, this film, Fantastic Mr. Fox, that we just saw the trailer for, is your fourth uh, feature film with Wes Anderson, and you also were in the short Hotel Chevalier that went with uh, Darjeeling Limited. Um, maybe a good place to start is to talk a little bit about how you first, how you first met Wes, how you got cast in Rushmore, and uh, what this creative partnership has been like uh, for you over the last decade. Sure. Um do you guys mind? It's gonna. It's long. It's a long story. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Are you sure? I mean, it's like a. It's gonna suck up a lot of oxygen. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> uh, no. Whoops. Uh, no, it's okay. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't ha- get that water out of here. Um, when I was. Uh, I was born in 1980. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I. Um, I was. Uh, 16 and a half years old just 17 years old and um, I was uh, entering my senior year of high school and I was in a band at the time the band was I just realized is this going to be on iTunes so all those bad jokes are going to be on iTunes (laughs) can we start right now as if it just started and hello hi hi how are you guys Um, I uh, so I was a how did I meet Wes Anderson? Here's the story. I, um, I was 16 and a half years old, um, just about to turn 17, and I was in a, in a band that I had started uh, in 1994. And um, at the time, I was um, a pretty much of a, pretty much of like a, a clown-type teenager. Huh? Yeah. You don't say. Yeah, I was a clown. Uh, I had, um, you know, low, low self-confidence type um, things happening and uh, struggling to meet. The, I, I liked girls, uh, and they typically, the girls I liked didn't like me back pretty much. Um, but the ones I didn't like, they liked me. So I wasn't totally unliked, but not by the ones that I really wanted. And, um, and I was your typical uh, uh, go-between kind of kid like uh, girls would come up to me and start talking to me and I thought maybe they liked me and then I realized they just wanted to talk to my friend and uh, could I pass along that they were they liked them that kind of stuff I'm just trying to paint give you a little bit of a back a back story so uh, I was uh, 17 years old and I was at a party and um, with a bunch of adults it wasn't like a like a house party it was an adult party I was the youngest person there and there was a casting director. It was in San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles, but it was, I was in San Francisco for the weekend. And I was at a party. And this casting director was there named Davia Nelson. And um, she uh, approached me uh, about, um, she, like, uh, well, she knew my cousin. And she and my cousin were friends, I guess. And um, they were talking about what each of them were up to catching up. And um, my cousin asked this woman, Davia, what she was up to. And um, Davia said that she was casting a film called Rushmore um, for this uh, director named Wes Anderson. And my cousin asked her what the movie was about. And she said that it was about a a young, eccentric teenager who's a playwright and um, also is in love with this older woman. And... um, my cousin thought about it and said, that sounds kind of like my cousin, Jason. Um, and he's right over there. 
And, um, and she said that only because uh, two years earlier I had written and directed a bunch of plays and um, I wasn't an actor but I wanted to I didn't I don't know what I wanted to be a musician but I had written and directed plays and I loved plays and if I always wanted to be a playwright since I was really little and, um, and I did like older women pretty much exclusively because um, <laughs> yeah you know why not and um, how much older uh, anywhere from um, three years to eight years is my range. But I mean, I wasn't like you know, I wasn't picky. Um, but I never got—I mean, I never got any older women anyway. I just liked them, um, just for the record. But anyway, um, so uh, this woman, this casting director, approached me at this party and said, "Hello, my name is Davia Nelson. I'm a casting director." And I'm casting a film for a director named Wes Anderson, who I knew of because I had seen Bottle Rocket and I had loved Bottle Rocket. And um, she said, um, I'm a casting director and you seem like um, you could play the part in this movie that we're, we're casting. And um, I said, oh, that's so nice of you to say that, but I'm not an actor. And I guess that was the go-between kind of instinct in me. I was, I just... You know, when you're you're so used to not being the guy that people will talk to, you feel like it's a uh, you feel like there's a mistake or they're wrong or the, the, you know what I mean. And so she was talking to me and said, "No, no, you 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 should you should go audition for this film. It's a great movie, and you really seem like you could be the guy." Keep in mind, at the time, I was also wearing a tuxedo with tails. Um, I had rented a tuxedo for this party because uh, I I like to dress up, you know, and costumes and stuff. And um, so I was wearing this. Uh, tuxedo with tails and uh, anyway I kept saying no I, I really I appreciate it but it would be a waste of your time and uh, I appreciate the you know you thinking of me I guess but I'm not, I'm not the guy anyways she kept she kept going and I finally I mean I wanted to audition it sounded amazing but I just literally thought it would be a waste of time and whatnot. anyways I gave her my address and my phone number and the next day I went home to Los Angeles and already waiting for me was a was a manila envelope and inside of it I pulled out a script that just said Rushmore on it and it was the first script I'd ever read in my life and when I read it um, it was just everything that I ever found funny in the world and interesting and relatable to me it was just right there contained in this you know in this rectangular group of papers and um, I loved it but the first thing I thought was um, anybody who gets to play this part is going to have so much fun you know, it's going to be a great experience. I never once considered that I would get this part because I just wasn't a professional actor, you know. And I also, I, are you guys, a lot of you from L.A.? Yeah? Well, I, I grew up here too, and um, I used to get my hair cut in the valley, and the girl who cut my hair um, had up, like, rimming the uh, mirror, the perimeter of her mirror in front of me where I'd get my hair cut, just headshots of all the little um, kids' heads that she cut. You know, a little, and they're all kid actors. And they're like, one of them is just like a little astronaut, and like one of them is like the thinker. And they'd have, you know, they have spiky hair, which um, not a lot of you have, which is good, because I didn't want to get beat up after this. But, uh, you know, they're spiky hair, a lot of gel and cockiness, and just real little go getters, kind of like little killers. You know, little killer actors, just, uh, and they, you know, very aggressive. And I just didn't have that. And I remember when I was little, I would sit there and get my hair cut and just sort of stare at all these kids and just think, what is that that they 
how do they do that? How do they feel so great about themselves and feel like they're, they're going to go get in a movie? Um, so anyways, um, I just saw that mic stand right there that's really tall, and I didn't realize that it was to record you guys, but I was thinking, that's assuming that whoever asks some questions later on is really, really tall. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, so uh, I got the uh, script for Rushmore sent to me. I never thought I'd get it, and I read it, and I loved it, and I, I didn't know how to audition. I had never prepared for an audition in my life, and my mother helped me um, with the uh, lines, helped me memorize the lines, and I worked on it, and I called the uh, casting director uh, in L.A., and I'm sorry, this story is so long, I told you, but I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you. Is it all right? It's long, but why not? We're here. You only live once. Um, so anyways, um, so I... Uh, so I called the casting director and I said, hello, my name is Jason Schwartzman. I was in San Francisco this past weekend and I met Davia Nelson and she told me to come in and I don't know what I should do and, and it's my first audition. And she said, just come in on Friday and, uh, you know, at three o'clock. And immediately I knew I had school that day, so I just decided, you know, I'll skip school. Um, and, um, and, she, and I said, what do I wear? And she said, you just wear whatever makes you feel comfortable. And I, um, I knew I wasn't ever going to feel comfortable. So I figured being a bit of a clown or enjoying these types of things, I dressed up completely in character, um, like with khaki pants and a blazer. And my friend Mike Meyerberg built me this patch. And um, I wore it. Uh, and and I, basically my idea was that I'm not going to be a good actor. I'm not going to get the part in this movie. But I will be remembered as uh, the kid who dressed up. Skip ahead to a week. I go into this audition, dressed completely in character, skip school, and I walk in, and uh, sitting in the waiting room are eight other people dressed exactly like me. Uh, and it was uh, really uh, heartbreaking, um, because that was the one thing I had. You know, that, was the, that was the ace up my, my short, short sleeves. But um, So I sat there, and I don't know if you guys have ever been in an acting waiting room, but it's probably like being in a, do it's like a doctor's office in a weird way. You sit in a room that's usually like U-shaped, and there's all these chairs, and I'm just like sitting there against a wall looking at all these other kids dressed exactly like me, but the killer version of me, you know? <laughs> really, you just have a look in their eye. It was like, you know, in Searching for Bobby Fischer, um, uh, when the Bobby Fischer is against that mean, uh, the opponent in the end, he's a bit mean, that's what everyone in the room was like, that bad, like a bad guy. And uh, they were with some of their parents, and they looked, they were gazing at me, and it was not fun. And anyway, one by one, they'd all go in, and they would all uh, be in there for quite some time and walk out, and you could hear stuff kind of coming through the door. And, so, and I was getting more and more nervous, and, and new kids were coming in dressed like me, by the way. And, and I would move over closer and closer to the door, and I was getting really, really scared, and my adrenaline was racing, and I was for, I, absolutely sweating. And um, then the, they, they came out and they said that they were ready for me and I walked in and uh, there sitting in front of me was Wes Anderson and uh, I didn't know what he looked like at the time and I was so relieved to see that he was young. Um, I thought it was going to be an older person, but he was really young, not an adult, and I thought, oh, oh, this guy's great, uh, I like this guy. And I sat down with him and he had on these amazing Converse shoes and I was wearing some kind of odd New Balances. And um, we started talking about shoes, and then before you know it, um, we started talking about music. And uh, do you guys know the album Pinkerton? Yeah. Pinkerton was a really big record at the time for me in my life. It was pretty much all I was listening to. And uh, we were talking about Pinkerton, the, you know, the band The Cardigans, 
and stuff that I was really interested in at the time. And um, like Pulp and Stereo Lab, just, you know, talking about music. And um, we had about a, like a great 20 minute long conversation. And it was the first, I felt like in my life, I felt like, oh, you're what I've been waiting for in a lot of ways as a, as a friend. You know, I was struggling to find uh, people that I connected with. And this guy was so sweet to me and, and asked me what I thought about things and what my opinion was. And no one had ever asked me my opinion really before, taking it too seriously. I mean, of course they had, but I felt very deeply connected to this person. And um, after about 20 minutes, he asked me, he said, do you want to read now? And... Um, I wanted to just say no. Um, and I, I might have said no. I don't remember exactly, but basically I felt like, oh, I've just met you. We've had this incredible 20-minute long conversation about music. You might be someone who could be my friend. I don't want to ruin it now with really bad acting. Um, don't, you know, you, you, maybe you think well of me right now, and I don't want to destroy this. But he said, no, no, you've got to read. And um, so uh, we started to read the scenes, and then after a little while, um, Wes asked me to put down the script, and we, could, we just started talking. And we kind of made up scenes and played around. And then um, he asked me what I was doing later that day. I said nothing. And uh, he asked me to go walk around the block a couple times while he read the other kids. And would I mind coming back in 45 minutes? And I said, sure. And I, uh, I'd never been to an audition, so I thought, you know, I didn't know if this was unusual or not. It turned out that it was kind of unusual. And I walked around the block. I came back. And uh, Wes asked me to read more scenes with him, scenes I hadn't prepared. And then we started to improvise scenes. And then he asked me to be Bill Murray while I auditioned other actors. <laughs> so I did a Bill Murray, uh, not an impression. I just, you know, I just try, you know, I'm not an impressionist. But I was trying to roughly channel something about Bill Murray. Um, anyways, then after... Um, after a while, about another hour of auditioning, Wes said that was really good and could I leave my phone number and everything, and I did. And I remember while I was leaving, the costume designer was showing up there and she had the beekeeper's helmet in her hand. And she said, well, Jason, will you put this on? Wes said, will you put this on? And I put it on, he looked at it, and he said, yeah, that looks good. And I took it off and I went home. My mom asked me how it went. I said I wasn't sure. And then um, a couple days later, I got a call back and I went and I got a there was a screen test that I had to go do. And then I screen tested against, you know, less killers, but still four other killers. Um, and um, then um, three days later, I was at my house cooking dinner for myself. And um, I, was grilling, um, I was grilling some food. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah, I was alone in my kitchen cooking dinner at 17 years old, just bored. And um, then the phone rang, my, my home phone line rang, and I picked it up, and it was Wes. And he called me, and he said, um, this is Wes Anderson. I'd like to officially offer you the part in Rushmore. How would you like to come down to Houston in three weeks and um, be in this movie with, with Bill Murray, and I'll direct it. And so that was how we met. And um, I was so scared during the whole making of that movie. You know, I mean, I loved it. It was so incredible. But um, it was, you know, it was a lot to, a lot to, to do, and uh, Wes took such great care of me. We had dinner every night in his hotel room, and we'd go over the scenes for the next day, and Bill Murray was so loving to me, and really, uh, um, I couldn't have done it without either of their support, uh, and Wes really especially just gave me everything. And um, we became best friends, I'd say, and over the course of the next many years, we've... Um, We've just remained that way, and it's hard to see him. It was hard to see him for a little while because he had moved to New York, and I didn't see him as often. 
but you know as with great friends when you see them it, it you fall right back into your usual ways and it's as if no time had passed at all and then while I was making a movie called Marie Antoinette he actually came and lived with me and um, he became my roommate and then it was during that time that we wrote the Darjeeling Limited together and then after that we went on to do Fantastic Mr. Fox um, I didn't write writing it but acting in it and um, it's basically been uh, an incredible relationship because I feel like uh, you know we know each other really well now he's my my best friend and um, he's seen me at my worst which is a really good place for a director to see you I guess because then you've gotten so many embarrassing things out of the way and acting is really embarrassing I find because right before you say a line you're not sure if right you know like how people are gonna like it or how it's gonna come out and you know maybe you're gonna say it one way and then they're gonna fire you so uh, or it's just embarrassing so it's nice that the that I'm working with someone who you know I've sucked in front of um, and uh, that way I don't have to worry I just am free to be bad or free to experiment and um, and because we know each other so well and have been a part of each other's lives for so long you uh, it, it, it makes the work harder in a weird way because um, it, it makes it more fun because you're friends and you're thinking wow I can't believe we're doing this together but it also is harder because you have no excuse um, not to uh, push yourself to your limit um, so it's um, that's that's uh, answer to question a well, uh, talk a little bit about the the way in which Fantastic Mr. Fox was made, because I think uh, we, we're accustomed with animated films that you know we see the behind the scenes, we see actors standing in in recording booths in these very antiseptic yeah. studios with headphones on, and they all came in on a on a different day to record their part, and they never met the other actors, and this was done completely counterintuitive to that, from what I understand. Yes, that's right. Um, basically, Wes um, didn't want to make the movie in the orthodox style of animated movies, which, by the way, I don't fault that style or that method or that process of making those movies, which is, as you say, getting the actors to, you know, uh, getting the actors cast and then basically them recording each of their parts separately and then edited together um, in post-production. So it seems like they're all talking to one another. So uh, in this case, uh, Wes wanted... Can I turn and look? Is that all right? Okay, okay good. <laughs> there you are. Um, Wes uh, wanted all the actors to be together, on, and we did it on location, as a matter of fact. And um, we went to farms, uh, various farms and estates and houses, places with lots of wide open space and land. And basically, um, if there was a scene that took place outside, all the actors would go outside and... Um, play the scene there and if there was a scene where George Clooney and myself or Bill Murray all had to be digging in the ground we would all get on the ground and start digging um, and if there's food to be eaten in the scene we would really be eating food as actors and it's just nice because uh, Wes really wanted us all to connect with one another and when you have many people or at least more than one um, you can have mistakes or odd things or um, just the unexpected can happen when there's more than one person, you know? And uh, Wes really wanted to have the unexpected in this movie. And so there are places where we're cutting each other off or odd pauses or a line is flubbed or a plane goes by or crickets are chirping in the background. All that atmosphere, that kind of documentary style of 
of recording found its way into the movie. And so when you watch the movie, if you decide to go see the movie, um, if you're watching it and you hear birds in the background, those birds were actually there the day that we uh, recorded the those uh, scenes. And it was just really nice because... Um, you could focus on the acting in a really nice way. Instead of being in a uh, studio, uh, which I think is a really hard thing to do, to be alone in the studio and just generate your performance, uh, we really could look in each other's eyes and, and play these scenes for all they were you know, worth and uh, really get into it and uh, look at each other in the face and react or hit each other or push each other or growl or whatever we had to do. So um, it's really nice and it, it's a beautiful way to make a movie. And uh, for, for people who haven't seen the film yet, which is probably most people, um, talk uh, about your character, Ash, uh, which is not a character that appears in the Roald Dahl book. It's, a, yeah. it's been created for the film. And then explain uh, who he is and, and how he figures into this uh, story. Okay, I, I play a character named Ash. I'm George Clooney and Meryl Streep's son. Um, which uh, is incredible to be able to say that as I say that right now. That's pretty amazing. Um, I play... Whoa, did you guys just get that computer? Oh, no. Okay. You're taking it back there. Oh, okay. I thought those little kids just bought that computer. <laughs> I was like, wow, they really... They, it's a different generation. Computer generation. A little four-year-old just walk in here and buy a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Um, I'm the son of George Clooney and Meryl Streep. Um, that is me over there with that sock on my head and a cape on. I don't, I don't know if you can see it. Um, I um, am a little fox. I'm, I'm too, actually uh, very little for my age. I'm um, very grumpy and um, a bit angry because no one really likes me. I don't fit in. I don't have a lot of friends. I like a girl who doesn't like me back. And not only does she not like me back, she likes my cousin. Um, who uh, comes to stay with us. He is, my cousin is very flexible, um, very athletic, very smart, uh, and just um, he has a good core strength. Um, my character has a little bit of a belly, um, and, um, and I, I, I am a misfit. I'm a bit of a misfit, and I want to be a better athlete, and essentially I just can't get my father to give me, give me uh, attention and love. And um, so, yeah, that's... Yeah, and it, it's funny because when I read the script, I thought I didn't. When I read it and when we were acting it out, I never thought, "Oh, we'll just all play foxes." I'm going to play a 12-year-old fox. I just thought it seemed like a 12-year-old boy or 13-year-old boy who was struggling with many of the same things that I had related to you guys earlier. So, so you you mentioned George Clooney and Meryl Streep as yes. your parents. So, what was it? What was it like working with them? That seems like an actor's dream to work with either one of them, yeah. let alone both. At the same time, and also kind of, I guess, a, 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 a great master class in acting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, working, uh, you know, I'll just talk about, you know, like, for instance, working with George Clooney was, um, it was a really, uh, it was a master class, and it was uh, incredible. Um, he, uh, he's not only a great actor, but he's a great uh, person. He's very sweet and very generous, um, and so uh, up for trying anything which I always find so amazing when, you know what I mean? Like, he just try any idea West threw at him and was very quick to process it and try it. So he was very experimental in that way. And I'll say something which was really nice is um, typically when, um, when you are working on a movie, if you're in a scene with someone, um, you know, you're trying to uh, play the scene and you don't really 
you can't really just stop and stare at the person and try to study it in any way or take it in, you know, because you, you're, you're working. Um, but in this case, because there were no cameras, it was great for me because the scenes that I wasn't uh, acting in, I, we were all in one room going through these scenes. I would just sit down on the ground and just study George Clooney while he would work and uh, do scenes with Bill Murray or, or with uh, Eric. And um, it was pretty amazing. Uh, he's a... a He's a very sincere actor, very, very sweet. And uh, his, I realized while we were working together just how, how amazing his voice is and um, how he uses his voice. It's such a big part of his performances. And I closed my eyes a lot and listened to him talk. And uh, his voice is very nice. So, yeah. Well, and as for yourself as an actor, because uh, obviously voice is very important. And yes. If you're doing a performance that's voice only, like yeah. this is, how I, I, how long does it take you to, to find the voice of the character? And what what are you thinking about? In it? this case? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, that's a good question because I, I play a young, I play a teenager. And when Wes first asked me to um, participate in the movie and told me the role that I'd be playing, I thought that he would want me to use a higher a higher pitch or speak in a weird voice. Um, but he told me just to speak in my normal voice, actually, and uh, that's what he wanted, and uh, that's what I did. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, so I, 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 I just tried to play the scenes, you know, as, as normal as possible. And I, I, like I said earlier, I never once envisioned myself playing a fox or, you know, would a, you know I just thought I'm playing a 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy. And Wes wants me to use my voice, and I'll just play these scenes, uh, you know, as well as well as I can, or just say the lines as correctly as possible. Did you have to make the growling sounds as well? Oh like yeah, 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 yeah. It's so weird to <laughs> growl as an adult and to roll around in the leaves. And some of the stuff we were doing was so, you know, um, you know, at arcades uh, when you're playing when you're playing a race car driving game, you can hit a button and you can. There's four different points of view you can have while you're racing in the car. You can be in the car, a little outside of it, to the left of it, or way up above it. There were definitely moments where I hit the POV button during this movie. It was like, like watching myself rolling around on the ground, digging with George Clooney and Bill Murray, and I thought, wow, this is insane uh, how amazing uh, this opportunity is and how bizarre it is. I want to take some questions from the audience in a second. I just want to ask you uh, one other thing first, which is um, you, you have a career in films. You have a career on TV and Bored to Death now, and you've had another television. You have your music career. How do you, how do you yourself sort of uh, you know, see these, these three different things? Are they things that you're interested in equally? Are you putting more energy into music than film or film than music or is it just all sort of one adventure for you well uh, that's uh, another good question well uh, I feel like um, I, I've been very lucky by the way it's been incredible to have found this show board to death and to be a part of it and to work with Jonathan Ames who's the creator of it and writer and uh, to work also with Ted Danson and Zach Galifianakis it's, um, it's uh, really feels I feel so blessed, and uh, it's incredible, and um, and also to be a part of this movie, it's 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 uh, it's beyond words how how amazed and happy I am by it all. Um, but to do a, a movie or, or a TV show, 
it takes many, many people. And uh, you can't make a movie without a, you know, by your, completely by your, I mean, maybe you can, but in the situations that I've been in, um, it takes a lot of people um, and relative, uh, you know, relative to making music, it's, it's much more costly to make a movie or, or a TV show. And you need a, approval from executives to green light you or just, you know what I mean? And so um, it's much more collaborative in that sense. Um, but my music, uh, I, can, I can wake up and I could just go and play guitar or piano uh, and write by myself. I don't need anybody to, to say, okay, you can go now and play, play a song you'd like or something. So it's, uh, it's just a different experience completely and I really can't describe them or com I'm sorry compare them or choose because they each fulfill such different parts of me and um, I feel like you know even when I'm working on a on the show I would uh, at night I would come home and write and record music so I it's a kind of a it's a dual it's a du they can happen at the same time and um, it's a duel. Uh, it was. I was gonna say it's, I can have both, but I don't mean like a duel with an e. Um, um, but uh, it. I kind of need one to help me with the other. If I don't have one, I feel a little bit out of balance. Um, it's like a chiropractor. You know, I feel like I, I feel like I go out of alignment. But I don't also take it. It's also just. Yeah, you know, I just. I, I just enjoy playing music. I like touching instruments. I like looking at instruments. I like looking at recording equipment. Um, so I don't sometimes come home at night. I don't need to write music. I just can like sit and play one chord for an hour. It just feels good. It's a nice. Um, it's a nice thing to be able to. It just feels good. Um, I know it's a weird answer, but yeah, that's how that's how it goes. Questions. Questions. Yes, right here. Can I yeah, or you can use that. Well, yeah. This. Oh no, there's. Here we go. Here we go. Is this going all right? I can't tell. Cause it's hard because I know you guys, but it's, it's loud outside. And I'm wondering like, if you guys can hear me or I can't hear myself. Hi, so um, obviously you're a very, um, a very expressive person, a musician and an actor. Do you, have you ever considered directing or do you direct or ever con write? Have I ever considered directing? Um, geez, uh, I would love to one day direct, yes, but I know that's a, an answer. I mean, a lot of people say yes, they want to direct, and I, I hate to, I don't want, I mean, I, I feel like I'm just, I'm still such an infantile state of learning how to act, and I, I do feel like just because you're an actor and you've been on movie sets doesn't mean you can direct, you know, so I don't want to assume it, but I would, it would be a dream for me to uh, one day have a shot at trying to do something, either a little short movie or a music video or or something, because it would be really, um, it'd be really wonderful. I'd love to try it. Yeah. yeah just to pass it back. Hey, Jason. Hi. How you doing, buddy? Um, how do you like filming in Brooklyn on Bored to Death, number one? And uh, is HBO going to bring it back for another season? Uh, I'll, yeah, the, the answer to the second part is yes. Uh, we just found out that we're going to go back and make another one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to go back and make another one, another season. And uh, I love I love working in Brooklyn. It's incredible. Um, you know, my my dad is from Brooklyn, and my mom is from New York. And I myself I grew up in Los Angeles. I've never uh, I, I've never lived uh, in New York before. So this was really um, 
Oh, nice, nice. Good hat, good hat. Yep. Um, it was just, it was, a, it was, a, it was a great experience. I loved it, and I, I, I really miss it. I miss it so much now. Like, you know, I love Los Angeles, and it was such a great experience that I had living there. And that time of year was really nice. March, uh, March onwards, it was great because some days it'd be very, very cold and rainy, and then you get these beautiful days too. And it's uh, really, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I can't wait to go back. Yeah, we lived there when we were filming. I lived in Brooklyn when I was there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any more questions? Yeah. yeah. One question here. Um, what was it like working with um, David O. Russell on um, I Heart Huckabees? What was it like working with David O. Russell? Amazing. Uh, I love David O. Russell so deeply, and uh, I think, you know, he is. There is no one who makes movies like him, and I hope that he makes movies till the day he dies. He is so incredible he's like one of the most amazing writers that I've ever known and to be directed by him is uh, the most uh, beautiful and, and unique experience um, he he's like a man who he, he you know he must make that movie and uh, I like working with people like that who feel like it's not you know some people make movies they just they just are it's just a job and it's take it or leave it and it's you know or maybe they need the money or whatever and it's totally un I understand that too but working with David it's a man who if he doesn't make that movie it will be unhealthy for him um, and I and I like I like working with someone like that and um, you know he need he needs to make those movies and I, I I hope people support his movies and go see his movies and go see them again and again and again because he's he's incredible and I love him we have in the front Hi. Hi. Um, is there anyone you want to collaborate with with um, Coconut Records? Um, is there, is anyone there, to collaborate with, like do a duet with? Him? Oh, make a record with? Yeah. Um, is there, make musicians? Yeah. Oh, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many people that I love, and um, I couldn't possibly... Uh, I couldn't possibly begin, but I will right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, well... I mean, I have like uh, a wish list. There's this. Uh, do you guys are you familiar with the music of Emmett Rhodes? Do you know his music? Well, there's this incredible recording artist named Emmett Rhodes, and um, he uh, produced all of his own records and played on them, all the instruments on them in the early '70s, and um, in Long Beach, I think, or Orange County, and uh, there's a computer around here we could. We could Google it. But um, he uh, apparently still lives in the same house and still has all that recording equipment and will record people. One day, it would be my dream to, um, to... I don't even have to record with him. I would just like to sit with him and um, I don't even have to talk to him. He doesn't even have to be at the house. I would just like to go see the, the house and see where he did it all. Um, but there's so many incredible people and there's so many amazing bands and... There's no need for them to want, want to collaborate with me, so I feel like I don't want to bug them. They're making great records, but um, there's, uh, I feel like there's more great music now than there, there has been in a long time. And, um, and not only great new bands, but so many great reissues and compilations and li little labels putting out um, hard-to-find records now. I think it's... It's really exciting if you're into music. There's so much, and the internet has made 
so many connections possible for people to say, hey, do you know what this is? And where can I find it? It's just that uh, I really, uh, I really, uh, it's really great. I didn't answer, but Emmett Rhodes. I guess I'd say Emmett Rhodes. Hi, Jason. Hi, how are you? Hi, good, thanks. So you seem pretty grounded. So I was wondering what you do to prevent yourself to becoming one of those killer, spiky-haired kids that oh, yeah. has gone wrong. And by the way, I like... I, if I have a kid, he'll have spiky hair <laughs> for a little while just, just, just so I could boss him around and get some kind of weird childhood vengeance. Um, how do I stay grounded? My entourage. My entourage... Uh, <laughs> They keep me pretty grounded. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have a... Um, that was a dumb joke. I don't know. I don't have any advice. Uh, I don't know. I just... I guess all of like the fact that I'm sitting here talking and you guys are all out here with the Mac store. We're at the mall where I like hung out as a kid. The fact that you guys are all facing me, it feels weird and bizarre and incredible and I'm incredibly thankful and I enjoy it. I'm not saying I don't like it, um, but it, it blows my mind. And um, I guess I just, uh, I'm humbled by your generosity. And so I just want to say thank you. And I don't know how to stay grounded. I don't know how one does that. Um, but uh, I just, you know, love your family. <laughs> Keep your family close to you. That's all I would be able to say. And um, yeah, just love, love, be close with your brothers and sisters and parents if you can. Yes? Hi, Jason. Uh, Hi. I saw you uh, at the Arrow Theater the other night. Oh, cool. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, creating the character for Rushmore, what, how you found connections to that, that crazy <laughs> character in the... Yeah, creating the character in Rushmore. Um, that's, a, that's a really long answer, I, and, it will, and whatever I give you will ultimately be unsatisfying because it was uh, such a... Uh, it was such an otherworldly experience. I feel like um, uh, I made movies after that, but that one almost wasn't a movie. It was just a, an experience that I had. But um, like, uh, if you're asking me that question, like, how did I do it? I almost feel like the, that experience for me was the equivalent of if I just took you and put you in a race car, like in a NASCAR, uh, and I closed the door, you'd never raced before, and I just said, go! and everyone was whizzing by you, you wouldn't try to win that race. You would just try not to crash, right? And that's basically what I would describe my experience as being like. I wasn't thinking very hard about trying to give a great performance. I was just trying not to ruin this movie uh, and, and, and ruin this incredible situation that I had just um, found myself in. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that very much. I think there was one here. Hi. I was just wondering what it was like to uh, write with Wes Anderson. Like, mm -hmm. what's his process kind of like? Or yeah. What you guys do? Uh, writing with Wes. Well, that was it's a it was an incredible experience that had many different um, chapters and periods and phases of it. Um, when we first started writing it, I was working on this movie Marie Antoinette, and we were living together. And every night I would come home from work and we would walk my dog. Um, and while we would walk my dog, we, were, we would just talk about 
our experiences as you know people on this earth and the things that we did and didn't do in our lives and you know romantic ups and downs and confusion or work questions and it was just a like friends kind of just talking and and, and during that time the idea Wes kind of already had the idea for the movie but all of these discussions were kind of we were hovering we were hovering around a kind of a feeling about making something really personal so what we once it was agreed and decided that we were going to write this movie together um, every night after work we would meet uh, at uh, we would meet in a cafe or a bar whatever was open and um, it didn't feel romantic at the time but as I describe it now I know it sounds so romantic Paris cafes after work but it was you know the food was really not delicious sometimes and it was cold and the bread was stale and um, but even that sounds romantic but at the time I, I can't express to you that it wasn't always romantic and um, anyways uh, we would we basically would just in that first phase while I was in Paris working on Marie Antoinette it was really just um, kind of brainstorming uh, and talking uh, abstractly about um, feelings that we wanted to maybe uh, have in the film uh, you know what we wanted to be like things we'd always envisioned wanting to see in a movie but very broad then I went home to America after shooting it we shot it in Paris and um, I had gained uh, on purpose uh, over 50 pounds of um, flesh to play the part of Marie Antoinette so I went home to lose the weight and Wes uh, stayed in Paris and we were also riding it with uh, Roman Coppola and he went back to Los Angeles too and after I had lost the weight uh, Roman and I went back to Paris and thus began a much more focused uh, writing um, period where we basically you would wake up in the morning we would go have breakfast together and talk about scenes and someone would say something that would spark a memory that would spark another memory and while telling that story someone says a line and we think oh that's that's got to be a line someone should say and you just sort of putting things together and writing and then we'd go back to Wes's apartment and we'd write very thoroughly into the night um, till two or three in the morning hard writing and then um, we'd go back I'd go back to America after about a month or three weeks and we would do these conference calls every day from 9am to noon and uh, it would be myself Roman and Wes on the phone and they were conference call writing sessions and we did those every day six days a week um, for six weeks and then Roman and I would fly back to Paris for a month fly back to the conference calls and we did that for about two years and then the next period was we went to India with open-ended tickets and basically said we're gonna finish we're not coming home until we finish this movie and um, we were there for four weeks three weeks and it was a writing slash location scouting reconnaissance mission type experience where we had enough of the script to begin acting out scenes and if there was a temple and a scene took place at a temple we would um, get out our scripts and we would act out the scenes and kind of block them and see what uh, what was plausible that we had written and what didn't really need to be there what seemed um, you know vestigial in a weird way and we just began to cut things and in a weird way uh, the country of India was like our editor-in-chief it, it just it was it, it did a lot of cutting for us and rearranging of um, 
of, of parts and segments. And we came home and, and oh, also while in India, we tried to ex- basically experience everything that our characters experience um, and say yes to everything. So everything you see in the movie actually happened to us. Uh, but it was weird because we had already written it, so we made it happen to us. Just, you know, we, we would initiate certain experiences and see what happened, just to see if any of it was real. And a lot of it turned out to be, and some of it didn't seem real, which we cut. So that was kind of what it was like. More. Any more questions? Any more questions? No one has any more questions? Jason Schwartzman, yeah. thank you. All right, very well, much. listen, I want to thank you guys all for coming. And if you didn't mean to come, thank you for shopping at this great store. They are the best computers on earth. And, uh, and have a good night and be safe at the Thirsty Promenade. Uh, and uh, God bless you all.